an unusual experience uh, earlier this week in which God gave me uh, a dream and he began to show me some things and speak to me. And what he began to speak to me was about the economy of God. So I'm going to take you through the scriptures in the Old Testament concerning the economy of God. And I believe it makes reference to the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom, but also into our lives today, right now, and how we must live in the economy of God and not the economy of men. What I mean by economy, brothers and sisters, is not simply finance and money, but it's an order and a system by which you live. When we say the economy of God, we're talking about the kingdom, how it operates, and how we should behave in that kingdom, its precepts, its laws, its principles. And so the economy of God is the kingdom of the Lord. It's so much different than the kingdom of men. How many of you know that? And though we belong on this earth and we live in this planet and, and we uh, live within the United States and we operate according to its laws and principles, we as Christians should operate in the laws and principles of the kingdom first. Even when those become opposed to each other, Peter and John being locked up against the rules and administration of the laws of their land said, we will obey God before we will obey men. And so we obey the kingdom of God first, and in that it calls us to behave according to the laws of the land. But when those laws become conflict for us, we seek the will of the Lord. And so this morning I want to teach you the economy of God. If you would please turn to Luke chapter 4. And interestingly enough, that is the announcement of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Luke chapter 4, he speaks about the kingdom of heaven has come. That was the message of John the Baptist, the kingdom of heaven is near you, the kingdom is coming. Jesus came and said the kingdom is here, the kingdom has come, and he begins his ministry with the inauguration statement of Luke chapter 4, which is the reading of Isaiah 61. You with me so far? Okay. Jesus comes out of the wilderness temptation, defeating the temptations of the devil to begin his ministry, and he goes into the synagogue, and on that day, they ask him to come and speak. And it says that he stood up to read in the custom of the synagogue, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And this is in verse 18, Luke 4, verse 18. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's bold. That's bold. But what is interesting about his declaration is this. He is describing what the Spirit of the Lord declared in Isaiah 61 concerning the economy of God, the kingdom 
of God. And he said, today is the day of the Lord's favor, the year of the Lord's favor. Another way to put it is, the jubilee has arrived. This is the year of jubilee. Those who owe debts will be released. Those who were prisoners will be set free. Those who are blind will have sight. All that was within the economy of Israel, described in Leviticus and the book of Deuteronomy, as how they were supposed to live and how that economy was supposed to function, Jesus said, I came to fulfill it. You see, when Jesus came to fulfill the law, he came to fulfill its regulations that no man could complete. So what you have to understand is he didn't just come to complete the laws that condemned us as sinners. He came to fulfill and complete the laws of God's government on the earth. The provision that was given in Ludicrous, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It's not easy to say. Don't put those two together like that. They do make sense. This is awesome, you see, because we've always looked opposed to the law because it always condemned us. But when you realize that within that law was the perfect government of God, the supplies of an economy that was for every person to be a blessing, but because Israel could not fulfill it, it became a weight and a curse upon them. But Jesus came to say, I brought the year of Jubilee. I have completed the law. I'm bringing all of the government of God and its provisions to you as a people. And today it's being fulfilled right now in your midst. Wow. That's awesome. And so that's what I want to share with you. And I believe if we would begin to see what the provisions of the law, what the provisions of God's economy is, we would begin to treat each other differently and operate in that law and in that command. And so I want to take those things that are found within the economy of ancient Israel and bring them to light in our life. Now there are three of them that I have summarized. And if you're taking notes, it's this. Number one, the land. Number two, the temple. And number three, the Sabbath. These were the concerns of the law and the economy of God. Now, what they meant when you cipher through all these laws and begin to see the heart and the content of them, concerning the land, you will see the holiness of God. And I'll take you through this. Concerning the temple, you will see the honor to God. And concerning the Sabbath, you will see the healing of our God. The holiness, the honor, and the healing. If we uphold these three things in our lives, walking in the completion of the law, we will be living in kingdom economy instead of human economy. And may I say that Western economy has polluted the church. It has polluted the church. The isolationist, get-what-you-can mentality has polluted the church. And we have got to get back to the perfect law of Israel and understand that we, first of all, know that God is holy and all things belong to Him. Secondly, we honor Him with all that we have. And thirdly, He will heal the land and your life through His Sabbaths. So let's take a look at each one of these. Are you ready for this? Okay. Because if you said no, I'd stop right now. All right. 
Let's look at the land. Let's look at some of the principles of the land within the economy and the kingdom of God. And what you'll see, first of all, is this. When God brought Israel back into the land, he said this, this land is mine. You are going to occupy the land I give you, but I want you to understand one thing. It's mine. He says in Leviticus 25, the land is mine and you reside in my land as foreigners and strangers. In other words, appreciate what I have given you because it's mine. It made me realize that when the Hebrew writer says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, we reference that to think God's got enough uh, provision for everything we need. But in, in fact, simply it means he owns everything. A thousand means eternal. He owns the cattle. In other words, every stock, livestock you have, crop, uh, anything you have and have grown on this land, it belongs to him. So don't begrudge God anything. May I say that anything you have in your life, a kingdom principle is, it's his, not yours. You see, when you got saved, you gave up all your rights. You don't own nothing. You see, and how that is in conflict with the sense of ownership in America, this is mine, that's mine. You remember when your two-year-old learned the first principle of American economics? Mine! Mine! They learned that before they could say, Daddy! You'd have friends come over, let's get our kids together, right? Wrong, bad idea. Mine! My toy! Mine! Come on, Jimmy, share! Mine! God said, look it, this land is mine. It's not yours. And so what you will protect in this land is my honor and my glory. What you grow in this land belongs to me. And, and he proved that and declared it by establishing certain principles in the land. Uh, and they were to always redeem the land from God. They were, in in essence, paying rent. The tithe that they were tithing on was, in fact, giving back to God 10% of what was part of their crops because it was His. There was no attitude of, come on, 10%, i got to give you this, it's mine. Uh Uh-uh, it's mine. And I've given you the privilege. Now, what did He say about the land? It was a land flowing of what? Milk and honey. Where does milk come from? All right, you're going to have a lot of cows. Now, to an agricultural society, flowing with milk and honey is a good thing. So if it's going to be flowing with milk, what are you going to have a lot of? Cows. If it's got honey, what do you got going for you? Bees, which plants from what? Flowers, nectar. You've got product of agriculture. So he's saying this is going to be a great place for you to live. Now, here's the second thing. He gave everyone in Israel a piece of land. Everyone had a home in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. That is awesome. And as we go into this further, you're going to see that even if people don't know how to take care of it and fail to keep it, it would go back to them eventually because God cares. His gifts are without repentance. What God has given to you to steward and to take care of, you may even fail and lose it, but His, his what? His gifts and offices are without repentance. Amen? So what's amazing about the economy of God and the kingdom of God is every one of you has a place to live. What did Jesus say when He went to heaven? I go to prepare a place for you. You have a place in the kingdom of God. It is yours. 
God has a place for you. You are no longer a loner. You belong to a family. You are no longer an orphan or an outcast. God has given you land. And he says in the book of Peter, 1 Peter, he says that it is stored up as an inheritance for you that no man can steal or take. Every one of you has a place in the kingdom of God. You will not be displaced by God. And so everyone in Israel, every tribe was apportioned a lot of land and every family within that tribe was given a certain part and parcel of land. And so that meant that God is your provider and He gives it to you. Thirdly, the land price was fixed. According to Leviticus, you could not raise the rate of selling land. Oh my goodness, someone should have read this just about four years ago in our nation right some of you are out of a house some of you are uh, as they say upside down in your house payments because the keeps going up and interest rates and prices on homes not in Israel God said you cannot raise the rate on land he said everybody has a home and you cannot raise the rates thirdly he says this I want you to care for those in need his system of caring was this that everybody had a place to live everybody had to go to work you were given the land but what did you have to do with the land work it. work out your salvation with fear and trembling you're saved it is your salvation It is sealed by the Holy Spirit now allow that work of the Holy Spirit to bear fruit and be productive you have become the workmanship of Christ Jesus right created to do what good works that he has already ordained for you to do we don't get saved and go on to Christian welfare I'm saved salvation I don't got to do nothing thank you for the blood right What do you mean? I go to church. Come on. Work it. He is looking for fruit that lasts, remains. Yes. And so you have land. He's given you land. He's given you a place in heaven. He has given you gifts. He wants you to work it. He doesn't want you to sell off your gifts to someone else. He doesn't want you to be lazy and not do a thing with them. He wants you to work the land He's given you. The ministry of His Holy Spirit. Look, there is a a, uh, parable about the talents that He had given Uh, uh, some servants he gave ten to one servant five to another servant and one to another servant now that word talents is money okay it's not you know they could sing opera it's it's money and and so what were they to do with it and they went out and produced something and doubled the money back the guy with ten and the guy with five the guy with one buried it because he just you know didn't want anything to happen and he wanted to keep it and the master came back and said come on don't you know that if you put it in the bank, even under its own power, it would have brought interest back. You know what that tells me? That there is power with what God invests in you. Don't bury it. In, innate. And that's what dunamos means. Innate. In its own nature is the power. The dunamos of the Holy Spirit says that the power of God is in who he is the spirit so you have the power of god in you and that innate power should produce something unless you bury it it's got power now thirdly he said so there should be no one in need because number one you are not to put a price on food 
You are not, in Israel, you were not, you were forbidden to profit on food. You could profit on other areas, but you could not profit on food because he wanted all his people in his economy to be fed. That's why the psalmist could say, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. Because in Israel, there was always supposed to be a place where you could get some food. In the church today, brothers and sisters, there should be a place that no matter where you're at in your life, in success or failure, that the church will come through for you, that you can find a morsel and a food, either literally or spiritually, in the kingdom of God. We're here for you. We have got to do something in the church to stop making profit on the bread of God. You're welcome. Leviticus 23 also says, When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. Now how could he command that? Because it's his. It's my land. Whatever you grow on it, I'm producing for you. He did it. He promised them in such a miraculous way that if they would follow the economy of his purposes that if they would allow the land to rest on the seventh year, he would double the harvest on the sixth. And if they would allow and follow this whole thing perfectly, the economy would be the wonder of the world. You remember when we studied uh, Deuteronomy, he said that this law will be amazing to the rest of the world. That's why in the last day, in the millennial reign of Christ, all the nations will come and gather back up to Jerusalem because they will marvel at the reign of Jesus Christ. That his economy of the kingdom will run this world like it's never been run before. There will be no one hungry. No one hurting. No one homeless. What do we have a problem with right now? Hunger and homelessness, right? Do you know that there is no reason other than human sin for the hunger and poverty of this world? There is enough land, livestock, and produce to make enough food to feed this entire world. But we do not. Do you know why? Evil men regulate the amount of food that is being processed so that we cause people literally to starve because there is an agenda to depopulate the planet. It's forced starvation. We have sent aids to different nations of food that has rotted on the docks because their government would not allow the food to go to the people. Poverty and hunger is not because God's not good, it's because man is evil. We hear this all the time. How could a loving God allow such evil? Oh, come on. God's got a system right here that would provide everything you need. It is men, through their sinful acts, who keep the good things of God. God said, this land is mine. This planet is mine. I have made it in such a way that it would make all provision for you. And that's what he wanted to produce in Israel. It's awesome when you begin to study this and read this out. So there was a place for everyone to get food, to glean. That's the story of Ruth, remember? Uh, She went to see Boaz and she was gleaning on the fields and getting the food that, that she needed with her and Naomi. And so... Concerning the holiness of God, this land belongs to him. And so what he wants done with it is to minister to all people. He even said, I want you to let foreigners on your land and take 
because I want them to know that Israel is owned by God and God is benevolent and good. Sometimes we got to get this into our own witness. Christians, like I said, we've allowed a Western mentality and, and our capitalistic environment cause us to be stingy. Come on. We've got to preach it, right? All right? And what we have done is we've, we've gotten this whole sense of mine and I worked it and I owned it and you don't get it and, and, and this is not the economy of God. The economy of God is esteem others more highly than yourselves and if you see a brother in need, you give to them. Jesus preached about the neighbor. Who's my neighbor? The person in need next to you is your neighbor. And so we must honor God in His holiness and the land belong to Him. Now, in that same sense of the land belonging to him, he initiated the tithing principle of the land. And unfortunately, because of church history, we have perverted the understanding of the tithe and its principle. The tithe was this, the land belongs to God, and therefore you are to honor God with the produce of the land to declare his ownership of it. Now, that's why we give our finance. We give our first fruits and so forth. Because we are declaring all that is mine is actually yours. But I'm the one who worked. Who gave you the breath to get up in the morning and work? Who gave you the strength and the ability to do what you're doing? Now, and so the process is that we are to give back unto God that which was his. But let's look at the original intent of the tithe, okay? I'm not going to get into a long teaching on tithing this morning. I have a series in the back, and uh, you can listen to that. But we're going to move quickly over this, okay? Number one, biblically, the tithe was 10% of land produce goes back to God uh, in Leviticus 27 and 32. So it was the land product and the flock. All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. All the tithe of the herd or flock whatsoever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. So what was tithed was what was produced on the land. There was no monetary tithe in Israel. They didn't tithe cash. Okay? So if you look in Scripture, what was tithed was agriculture and livestock. Why? It grew from the land. And who owns the land? God. And what he did was give every tribe a portion of land except one tribe, Levi. That tribe didn't have any place to grow crops or herd herds. So he wanted everyone else on the land that he gave them to produce a tenth of their herd and flock and give it to that tribe that didn't have land so that they would be sustained as well. Perfect system. Perfect system. So that they could then, second point, honor God and keep the work of God central in that nation so that all the people could go to the temple and have sacrifice with God. What a perfect system. So he's got people who are raising agriculture, crops, and livestock, sustaining the wealth and uh, uh, nourishment of the nation and the priesthood so that the nation could honor God is being fed off the land by those people through the tithe so that God would remain central in all we do. 
Is this cool or what? All right? We just think this stuff's a bunch of laws and regulations. There's a whole system here. Brothers and sisters, for us, honoring God must be central in our lives. The temple, the tabernacle was central in the assembly of the people. Christ must be the center of your life. We come to church to gather and assemble, but every day He must be the center of your life. Church isn't the center of your life. I thank God you're here to grow and learn and hear from the Lord. We get refreshed here. But this is not what's central to your life. Jesus is central to your life. He is the center of everything. Everything you do, everything you are. And so he said this, all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed, I read that, it belongs to God. So the tithe belonged to God. So just an aside so that you understand, that's originally what the tithe was. It was not finance or money. Carpenters didn't tithe. That would mean Jesus didn't tithe. Guess what? The apostles didn't tithe. Most of them were fishermen. You don't tithe on fish. So the candlestick maker and the baker and all those, there was no tithe for them. You see, and and I can get into a long dissertation on tithing and all that. Uh, The 10% giving of a tithe doesn't translate into the New Testament. The early church did not teach tithing. Uh, The apostles didn't teach tithing. In fact, when they talk about giving in the very early chapters, and Ananias and Sapphira come and want to give all the money of their land, though they were holding some back, Peter said, didn't, it was yours when you sold it. It was all under your authority and power. You didn't have to give. But they did, and they lied about it, right? All right, now, don't get me wrong, though. The principle of giving is essential in the Scriptures. It is essential that we give to the kingdom of God because it is our free will offering and all that we have does belong to Him. Now, 10 is a root number of everything and it's a great process to begin with. But there is no certain measure of 10 there. You should be given 15, 20, 30. You give by faith. Everything in the New Testament is based on faith. And so you should be giving to the kingdom of God as it is central in your life by faith. This week it may be 10%. Next year it may be 20 You should be progressing in your faith and are giving to produce uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in the kingdom of God. It needs finance. And so this is my last statement on tithing. We call it tithing, but it doesn't have to be 10%. That's, that doesn't have to translate over. Whatever you can give uh, with, with your offering and, and your gifts. But it should be motivated by God and the Holy Spirit who is not stingy. All right? We are to give not by coercion, and there's so much coercive giving, but liberally with joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen? And when you begin to understand that law of reciprocity, of sowing and reaping, then you can move into all of this, and I'll move on from there. But as you can see, why he said to honor him with the tithe is because it kept the priesthood and the sanctuary operating for the nation, and that honored God. Here's another interesting thing. They were not to charge interest on any loans. It's called usury. And for years, even up into the Reformation, the church had declared never to allow usury. It's unbiblical. No one told Master Charge or Visa. Next time you get a bill, write them a note, give them the the Scripture reference, and say, this is unbiblical. 
They'll show up and take your car and your TV and whatever because they don't care. They just don't care. But you can see what interest has done to our economy, can't you? Look what it will produce. You know, the interest rates within a nation fluctuating and moving and so forth, God had provided such an economy that there was to be no interest. It says here, if any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them as you would a foreigner and a stranger so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit for them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at profit. I want to live there. Now let's bring that into our Christian life and remember what Jesus said. Today it's fulfilled in your midst. How much do we use people to gain? Even in our Christianity, I think we need a spirit check. Amen? Right? How often do we use people to gain more back from them than what we've invested in them? Just let that sit right there for a few minutes. Let's not charge interest on the Holy Spirit. Freely I have given, freely give. What do you think that's a reference to? Right here. And so let us not overcharge our brothers and sisters. Do you see what he's saying? Do you see how radical this is to human government? This is absolutely radical. That in fact he's saying even Strangers and foreigners who come to Israel can find help and relief. Any man who is weary and heavy laden, let him come unto me and I'll give him rest. You can't save him. He's a loser. You can't save him. He did this sin. He's a bad man. That's a lousy woman. God, you can't save them. It's not fair. Fair? He saved us. You see, when he said the kingdom, what he was producing in Israel was what Christ was going to bring. It didn't just all go away. It became. You getting this? And we are to live the righteousness of the law in our own lives. And we need to translate what he spoke to Israel in these laws into our daily living. So I am never going to take advantage of you I will not lie to you, nor will I cheat you. And people will know, that's a Christian. Wow, what happened? Right? Come on. Thirdly, we honor God in all of this. Last of all, His healing provision. God is awesome. Every seven years, give the land rest. He doubles the harvest in the sixth year. Why did he do this? Because he wanted their byproduct, their fruit, to be productive. God knew in the design of the land, you need to give the soil a rest so it can rejuvenate. Okay? And so he said in in the seventh year, you give the land rest, I'll double your uh, crops so you can last through that seventh year and in that rest I will refresh and rejuvenate the land so that it will perpetually and eternally produce a harvest. 
We need to rest, brothers and sisters, and get refreshed in God. So let God pour into you that refreshing and that restoration. Everybody needs rest. We've lost that in this nation. You know, under the Judeo-Christian ethic, we used to have a seventh-day rest. And because of Judaism, we had Saturday and Sunday. Man, we, we bonused out on that thing. Now people are working day and night. It's interesting. Someone once said the worst invention ever made was the light bulb. Why? Why? Second shift. Serious. We used to let God regulate our lives. When the sun went down, we rested. But the light bulb came along, and now we can have second shift. We can have midnight to a.m., third shift, yeah, right? We can just keep working people, working people, working people, and bringing produce in, gluttony. Now, look, let me just make a point about the seven-year rest. Israel rejected the law of this economy and did not take a seven-year rest on the land for seven cycles. Right? And so what happened to them? God says the land spit them out. They were sent to Babylon for 70 years. I think, yeah, sorry, it might have been 10 cycles. So they went to, to Babylon for 70 years for the one reason that they did not give the land rest. Now, while they were in Babylon, did they tithe? No, because they were not getting anything from the land. So there's no tithe. The tithe's completely connected to the land concerning the holiness of God, that it's His. They were in Babylon 70 years, and after they learned their lesson, they went back. You see, they would not follow the economy of God. Now, every seventh day, we are to rest. Then we go on and we say, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel all debts. This is how it's to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to follow an Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. Oh, told you i want to live there (laughs) the economy of god he's even taking care of our inabilities and he gives us a debt reduction of our failures thank god so when jesus stood up and said the day of the lord's favor is here he was speaking of this very thing all of your debts canceled That's what Jesus did for us. When he died on the cross, he was declaring the favorable year of the Lord. All of our debts are canceled. Anybody want that? Man, I want that. (laughs) All my debts canceled. Hallelujah. I am restored back to full estate. Now catch this. Watch this. Okay, your debts are canceled. And then... On the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, each of you is to return to your family property and to your own clan. In this year of Jubilee, everyone is to return to their own property. What that says is this. uh, Every second generation, every 50 years, you get to go home. (laughs) 
You get to go where maybe you lost your land, you lost your house, you belong to the tribe of Benjamin, and somehow in your part of the neck of the woods things didn't work out. Go home. It's yours again. Your debts are canceled, and you've got your land back. And we're going to work at this again. How many of you love a second chance from the Lord Jesus Christ? Hallelujah. Debts canceled and full restoration in the eyes of the Lord. There are times when I have totally messed things up. But His gifts and callings are without repentance. Full restoration back to what was yours. And it's all yours. It's all yours. Whatever the devil stole from you comes back. God is a restorer. And I want to tell you, guess who's coming back? At the end of the age, Jesus is saying, this is my planet, this is my earth, this is my kingdom, and it's mine that I am sharing with with you. And full restoration of this planet is coming back to mankind once again. Hallelujah! This is ours, and it's being fully restored back to us. And so our debt's forgiven. And so what he's done uh, in the economy of God is he's made the land holy, the temple a place to honor him, and in our healing we find rest. This is the economy of God. We now must understand that's what Israel was supposed to bear fruit of in the earth they failed jesus shows up reads isaiah 61 and says in this hour on this day this is fulfilled he said i will set free the captives and proclaim the good news the spirit of the lord is upon me anointing me to preach the good news to the poor that you can glean on my fields. You can have food by my supply. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. It's the year of Jubilee. Everything that's yours is restored back to you. All debts canceled. To recovery of sight to the blind. Rest in me and see that I, the God of Israel, am your only hope. Let your eyes be open to me. And to release the oppressed. That's what Jesus said. And now that same saying is put upon us as the people of God. We are to declare this provision within the kingdom of God for the foreigners and for the strangers. There is food for you to eat here. There is sight for you to see. There is restoration to you who are addicts, who are wounded, who are bleeding, who are broken, who are prisoners of flesh and sin. I provide for you through the Spirit of God the year of Jubilee. We've got the goods. Let's display the economy of God instead of the economy of men. Oh God, help us. and Let us release the debt of others. This is one of the key ingredients for Sabbath and the release of debts in Jubilee. Forgive your debtors as you have been forgiven. It's within the very prayer that Jesus taught us to say praying. It's within the very meal we take in the covenant that we would be forgiving as Christ forgave us. Church, we are to live by the economy of God. Now, I believe, brothers and sisters, and I will conclude now, that we are entering a time when the economy of God must become evident 
while the economy of men collapses. There's a shifting coming in this world. Globally, the economy is changing. Globally, governments are changing. That is our opportunity to say our kingdom never changes. The Christians, our kingdom is not meat and drink, but joy and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. Though the earth shake and the walls crumble, I will not be moved. I've built my house on rock, not shifting sand. You see, when trouble goes around us, the church and Christians, we don't need to tremble. We need to know that we've got joy and righteousness. Oh, we'll get hurt by this economy. Oh, it will cause trouble, but it can't disturb my joy and peace because I am living in a different economy than this economy. You may take my house, but my joy isn't attached to that house. I've got a mansion up over the hilltop. I have got a place reserved for me. I'm living in the economy of God. And this is what needs to shine now from the church more than ever, from every Christian, the foundation of the kingdom of God. Ah, I might be hurting for food, but you can always come to me for food. I might not have a place to stay, but you can lay down next to me and I'll share my blanket with you. This is the kingdom of God. If you see someone in need, you don't turn away. That's my neighbor. This is the economy of the kingdom of God. Living the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, living this completely unto the Lord. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Oh, 